0: 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you have your Bible, turn there with me. I'd like to read one verse as we'll it through this, but then go to the Lord in prayer. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Famous text here, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And we're asking and pleading with you here that our time together would not be in vain, that as we open up your word... Lord, help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear. God, I pray that our heart is tilled as you sow the seed in us, that it falls on good soul. And you would use me as a simple messenger to preach a profound message about a great Savior. And I pray that his name is lifted up in our time together. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Why do you live for Jesus Christ? Does this not seem odd? We took a Saturday in this great country of liberty. We could have done a thousand things. You could have been at home. You could be out to eat somewhere right now. You could be spending your possessions. You could be in arenas and venues. And you got up and you came in here so that we could sing together. People would pray. Somebody would get in this pulpit. They would open a book. They would preach from this. You would listen to this. To this world. That seems so odd. Because it is. It is odd. If you're a believer, you're odd. I'm a preacher. I don't back off of that. That's odd. That's really odd. This text that we're going to look at, it's odd. These people in this part of the world at this time thought that the man writing this was very odd. And the whole point of this passage, as he expounds on these things, is to explain to them, yes, it is odd to you, but in heaven, I am in perfect step with my Savior. This makes total sense to God and no sense to this world. And what does he say because of that? Thanks be to God for that. If we look at this passage here, we know, and we have to get the context, this is written by Paul, 2 Corinthians. This church was established on his second missionary journey. He stayed roughly a year and a half in that area. You can read that in Acts chapter 18. In a previous letter to Corinth, Paul had wrote of his joy and relief because of a letter that he had written to them that is often referred to as a severe letter, where he began to rebuke them. But... Paul is glad because they apparently had received that very positively, which tells me one thing. There are believers here because they accepted rebuke. The only problem with that is, though, most people believe that that letter is actually lost. And that we don't have really much account of that. So Paul is hearing more things from this church, this people here in Corinth. And in this particular letter that he writes to them again, he's addressing the things that he has heard. And he has not heard some great things. As a matter of fact, false prophets have arrived. There have been people that have been teaching false doctrine. They even begin to degrade Paul's character. They look down on Paul. They begin to question his integrity It even caused some people to begin to rebel against Paul and his teachings. You can read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. There's quite a bit of a mess resulting here. It got so bad that these people began to question his own speaking ability. Was he even qualified to do this? It even led them to poor generosity. All of this negativity in the land of Corinth here running through this. And Paul begins to address these things. He hears good news, though, from Titus. As Titus comes back and tells him, Paul, a majority of these people, though, have repented. The Lord is doing a work amongst these people. I do have good news to tell you. But by the time we get to chapter 5, Paul has to address something. That there may be times in your life you will have to address as well. Paul has to give a defense of his own salvation. He gives a defense of his apostleship. He even has to give a defense of the gospel itself. And as he moves through these passages, he's teaching against this deception that's come against him. But I want you to hear what Paul is saying, though. In these first 11 verses of chapter 5, He begins to break down the promise of heaven and this glorified body that will come for all believers untouched by sin. He begins to give them the good news. He speaks of the confidence that all Christians ought to have because God has been faithful, not us, but the Lord has been faithful. Therefore, we have confidence. We know that because Paul says later on that the Holy Spirit was sent to guarantee those promises that God has been kind to you. He sealed these promises, but then Paul moves on to speak of Christian duty and what's required of all people that live for Christ because eternity is approaching. The same is true today, folks. You have less time than you've ever had. Eternity is not going to knock on your door. It will kick the door down in your life. And we will all give an account of our life to a holy God. And here is what I'm preaching this morning. That saints, you can be sure that that meeting will be rejoiceful. But folks, if you are not following Jesus Christ, as loving as I can say this to you right now, you have no hope apart from Christ. Let's pick up in verse 12 as Paul transitions into this letter and he begins to tell them, There is a reason that you think I'm very odd. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. He begins to defend his life in ministry. Paul's simply saying, do You want to know why I do what I do? You want to know why I say what I say? Do you want to know why I go where I go? Do you want to know who I am who I am? Here's why because it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with the one who is on the inside. Of me. Paul is not bragging here. The Corinthians have been deceived as to looking just simply on the external things of Paul. And they look at his life and they think, this doesn't add up. Well, of course not, if you think carnally. It would make no sense. A man who's living his life, look at his appearance, look at his struggles, look at the things that he endures. They begin to look down on God and we know how foolish that is. God has been consistent in this, teaching us this is not how you view life. This is not how you view people. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. God commands the prophet Samuel, go down to the house of Jesse. Saul is replaced. He's disqualified. I've got someone new. And as he goes down there, Jesse rolls out his sons. We know the story. But he leaves one out. And what does Paul? Or excuse me, what does God tell Samuel the prophet? Don't you dare look on them like man looks on them. For man is only looking at the outward appearance, and that great passage. But God looks on the heart. Folks, Paul did not look like much. Beaten, persecuted, ran out, abused. And yet, one of the most faithful servants that has ever crossed this earth. God is looking on the inside and Paul is having to justify that I am not of these other men. I don't live my life based on appearance. I live my life dedicated to the one who has done the inside job. Who has regenerated me. I don't look like the world for a reason. Because I'm not of this world anymore. Verse 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us or compels us. Because we have concluded this. That one has died for all and therefore all have died. And he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves. But for him For who their sake died and was raised. They literally think Paul is crazy. That's why he says there in verse 13 if I'm beside myself, it's for God. You may think that I'm crazy, but this is a work of God. He says even if you think I'm in my right mind, it's really for you, for your cause. And what he's getting to here is they think that he's literally irrational. He's beside himself. That's what the text says. It's almost the idea of being unexplainable. Why would a person live like that when there's this other life over here to be had according to the world? The trials, the abuses, the pain, the loneliness... Even Festus said at one time in Acts 26, verse 24, as Paul stood before him, this is exactly the words. Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. He's saying, why are you so peculiar? And Paul answers, because I'm not living for myself anymore. It is not about me. Christians I love you and I will say this in love. Christianity has never, is not and will never be about you. For all I care if Justin never said my name when I walked up here to the pulpit, as long as you know Jesus Christ that's it. That's it. It is Christ or nothing. It is all Due to him and his honor and his glory. Amen. Yes, the world is going to say, that's odd. Make a name for yourself. Climb the ladder. Be somebody. Build a brand. And Jesus says, grab your cross and die. You die to you. And Paul says, by the help of the Holy Spirit, I am glad to say that I have died to self. I'm not about appearance. I'm not about bragging. I'm simply about loving Jesus Christ. Why, Paul? Well, what does he say right there in verse 14? For the love of Christ controls us. It compels us. He did not say my love for Christ. What's the passage say? It's his love for me that compels me to live this way. It's not about you. It is about being born from above and being different so that no longer people are looking at your life and my life and this church and that church. But it is all about the Lord Jesus Christ high lifted up. That's what he's bragging about. He's saying he died for me that I should live no longer for myself. He tells these people. Jesus rose again that I might live in and through and for him. I'll put it to you this way. Paul is not crazy. Paul is a new creation. And there is a great divide between those two things. Verse 16, in light of this new life in Christ, Paul explains that he begins to see everything and everyone now from a different perspective. Read verse 16 with me. From now on, in other words, no going back. This is it. From this day forward, it will always be this way, Corinth. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though, this is amazing, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. We regard him thus no longer. It's no longer according to the outward appearance that they put so much emphasis on in Corinth. It's not about dress and style and appearance. Paul says we're done with that life. It doesn't exist to me anymore. We only look at the inward man. It's not possessions and status and education level. We're not looking at people based on where they're at in culture. I'm not looking at you based on my feelings towards you either. Paul says I'm looking at you based on my new life in the one who has made me new now. It's not looking at you based on your occupation, where you go to church, who you're married to, what your kids are like, how successful you are. I don't care how many degrees you hang on the wall at your house or your office. What's going on in your soul? Are you redeemed? You follow Christ? Have you died to self? Are you living for one greater than you now? Or is it still you? Is it still all this facade, this mask that you want to wear? Look at me. Look at this thing that I've done and I've created. And Paul says, death to that. Death to that. That is behind us from now on, no more according to the flesh. But notice this. That was the old pattern. One of the great profound statements in that. What does he say? Even though we once, I love that plural, He's not excusing them, but he's putting himself in there as well. We once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Very convicting, but so have I. I grew up in church my entire life. It's all I've ever known. have extended family and by God's grace, many living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there was a time in my life that I just saw Jesus as a man. He was a central figure in a book of stories. He walked, he ate, he slept, he cried, he laughed, he had a family, he had friends, he worked. And Paul says, I saw that same man. He was among these people. As a matter of fact, it drove Paul So crazy that he knew him like that, that he literally tried to kill him and those people. Drove them out of their homes, folks. Sent them to prisons, saw them beat, made sure that some were put to death because he just saw Jesus as a man. And that's all he was. And I hate to tell you this, but you live in a world that that's all they see him as. Just a man who came on the scene of history and we got rid of him. So how odd you people would show up on a Saturday afternoon to praise someone that we don't even think exists anymore. And yet Paul finishes verse 16. This is beautiful. We regard him thus no longer. You know what I say to that? Praise his holy name. I don't see Jesus as a man anymore. Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior for the glory of God. Amen. He is not the difference in just so-and-so's life. He's the difference in all of our lives, folks. He didn't make a small change. He is the change for all of us. You owe everything to Christ. You're breathing right now because he's allowing it. You got up this morning to come here because Jesus said you could. He's everything to us. We don't view him as some man anymore. He's king of kings. He's Lord of lords. He's our all in all. He is our hope. He's everything we cling to for life and godliness. We wouldn't have this book in front of us right now if not for the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything. Everything according to him. Paul says I no longer will look at Jesus as some man anymore in Corinth. Nor should you. But the question remains. Paul why do you not see him like that anymore though? Verse 17. Therefore if anyone is in Christ. This is why. He is a new creation. How new, Paul? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Totally new. Totally new. You passed from death to life because of Jesus. I don't know how much more new you can get. You went from an enemy of God to a child of God. There's nothing more new than that. As the great hymn writer said, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. A new creation. I love the fact that he says, anyone. In Christ. A lot of people out here are trying to be new creations. That's not a new thing, by the way. We've all wanted to transform a little bit. Cut weight, new job, new this, new that. Got to improve here, gotta improve there. People have been doing it from the dawn of time. But you'll never be a new creation until Christ Jesus has saved you. That's it. You, anyone in Christ. You say, does he really mean anyone? Well, he took a Pharisee and a murderer and turned him into one of the greatest people alive for God. So yes, anyone. I've seen drunkards and billionaires turned around for the cause of Christ. I have known drug addicts and professors who went from death to life because of Jesus. I have known people who were construction workers and doctors. Both ends of the social spectrum, and Jesus completely made them new. Male, female, young, old, every language, nationality, education level. You can be blue-collar, white-collar. You can come from the Bible Belt, the Rust Belt. Folks, you can be poor. You can't even afford a belt. And Jesus Christ can make all things new. He can take Sunday school kids who thought they had it all together. And look to themselves for salvation and say, No, you're lost, but you can be saved and transformed my life forever. Friend, anyone in Christ is a new creature, not just forgiven. Many of us have been forgiven of wrong, and we went right back into life as we saw it. He's not talking about just simple forgiveness. He's talking about complete, total regeneration altogether. You went from one thing to something totally different. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this passage. He says, what was there to begin with when God made the world? Well, there was nothing. Nothing could not stand in God's way. At least it was passive. My brethren, in our hearts, while there was nothing that could help God, there was much that could and did oppose him. Our stubborn wills, our deep prejudices, our ingrained love of iniquity, all these great God opposed thee and aimed at thwarting thy designs. And yes, great God, it was great to make a world, listen to this, but greater to create a new creature in Jesus Christ. You can look at the world right now and say, my, my, what God has created. And yet Jesus looks on the one that has been saved and says, but yeah, look at that, though. But look at that. Believer, that's you. That's you. The world is going to tell you you're a fool, you're peculiar, you're odd, and say yes and amen to that because I'm now born from above. Say it. Lavish me with it. I don't care because God has put a new stamp over me. And it is not lost. But it is now saved. I am not alienated from Christ. I am a child of the one true king. That's who I am now. What a great point to be made there. New creatures in Christ Jesus. And then the ultimate question. well, How does that even take place then? Because certainly I could stop right there. And many of people are going to walk out that door. All around this world. And say well I guess I'll do that on my own then. I want to clean some things up in my life. I need to abstain from certain things. Probably need to avoid this. Certainly need to not be a part of that anymore. Probably need to participate in this. And they're going to think, well, we'll just turn a new leaf over and it'll be every kind of old saying that we want to mention and they'll still be lost. Because that's not what Paul's talking about here. Look at verse 18. All this is from who? God. So why do you emphasize that Jeremiah? Because I want everybody to hear me when I say this. It had nothing to do with you. It had nothing to do with you. All of this is from God. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them. Amen to that. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. You know how that happens? It is a complete and perfect work of God and God alone. Paul uses the word correctly here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be reconciled to God. That's what we're talking about. Not forgiven of a few wrongdoings. We've been reconciled to God now. You know how much greater that is than just being forgiven? That means a total restoration. A change. A new creature altogether. You went from being an a horrible, wicked wretch to now being acceptable in the eyes of God through Christ Jesus. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That means that that debt that you owed to God that was completely unpayable. Friend, we could add up all the righteousness of everybody that's ever walked together. And we wouldn't be a drop in the bucket of repaying what we owed to God. We are altogether unclean before him. The debt has been laid not on our account, but on Christ Jesus. My guilt, your guilt, not laid to me, but on Christ, my sin not put on me, thank God, but put on the Savior so that I might be reconciled to a holy God. I had no business being reconciled to God, and you didn't either. You did not deserve salvation, nor did I. I deserved, and we all deserve, wrath for eternity in hell. But Christ came. And we don't see him any longer as just some man. He is the one who took your place. The wrath of God had to be satisfied. The debt had to be paid. And I'm here to tell everyone today, it is by Jesus Christ that that was accomplished. And you ought to get up every day of your life thanking the Lord. I'm glad you didn't lay it to my account because I would have failed all of us. I would have just failed myself if he just tried to put it on me. New creations. You know what Paul says new creations do? They preach new messages. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're new now. Used to be enemies, now we represent the king. Used to be in a foreign land, now I'm in God's house. Used to live for me. And now what do I get to do? I get to live for the king. New creations, but what do they do? Ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. New creations, folks, get to preach new messages. Because you all know this as well as I do, before Jesus Christ, you were preaching anything but Jesus Christ to the world. You had a message and you were great at it. You just preached you all the time. Me, 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 me. And boy, were we good at it. Some of y'all didn't even know that, that. You were great preachers before salvation. But you told the world the worst message they could ever hear. That you can be saved apart from Jesus. Just live however you want to live. You do you. Look out for number one. That could not be more opposed to the Bible. That is a slap in the face of our Savior. That is to look at Calvary and to say, no thank you, I'll do it, I'll do it. What could be more obnoxious than that? And I hate to tell you, friend, that was my life before Jesus. I just preached me 24-7, 365, I don't need a Savior, you're looking at him right here. And by the mercy of God, I was not wiped out. By the mercy of God, I was not wiped out for that. But instead, he put my sin on the one that had never sinned. And said, no, I'm going to take that wretch and I'm going to save him. He doesn't deserve it, but by my grace and love, I'm going to give it to him anyway. Friend, we owe everything. To him, I get to preach a new message now. You know what message I get to preach? There's a new king. And it ain't this guy. But he is at the right hand of the Father forever. He's not abdicating the throne. They don't vote in heaven, praise God. It's over, sealed, done. He's the king. He's always been the king. He'll always be the king. Amen. And that is the message we get to preach. We are ambassadors. For Christ. The old man wanted to preach against that. I did. You did. We all wanted to preach against that. We get this new message though. He says. We implore you. Be reconciled to God. That's the message you get to preach. Because the old one was just self-righteousness. That's all it was. And we get to preach on this new king. What does he say? On Christ's behalf. That's it now. Because the old king was ourselves and our sinful nature. And I love verse 21. Paul just takes the nail, grabs the hammer, and just drives it right on home for them. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The sinless one was made to be sin for us. It's the innocent. For the guilty, it's the perfect. For the imperfect, it's the best. For the worst, it's righteousness for unrighteousness. And probably the way I drive it home most to myself, it's the son of God for the enemy of God. Spurgeon says, if God provided the sacrifice, be you sure that he has accepted it. You know why I accepted it? Because it wasn't you. And it wasn't me. It was Christ. And because it was Christ, the great exchange of all time took place. The reconciliation of reconciliation. Our sins on Jesus and his righteousness on us. Praise his holy name. You know what that makes us, friend? New creations. You know what Christians are? We are deeply rooted in new creations. It's been going on a long time. And if we tarry and you die and pass away, Jesus will keep on doing it. This is who makes us new. This is who gives us the new message. This is who gives us this new eternal destination. I'm going to close by saying this We are deeply rooted in new creations in Christ, by Christ. And for Christ. When you leave here today. I want you to remember. You are opposed to everything going on out here. They think you are odd. They think you are weird. They think you are peculiar. And you say yes and amen to that. Because you are a new creation. In Christ Jesus. And don't you ever be ashamed of that. Let's pray. Father we love you. Because you first loved us. And we thank you so much for this word. We thank you for putting it down in our spirits, God. I pray that it takes root and resonates with us. That we can forever claim we are new creations, not by our doing, but by the doing of the Lord Jesus. Thank you for this good reminder, Lord, that we are safe and secure in you. That we are new. The old things are gone we have everything to look forward to now in Christ, but Lord, we also pray that you've given us this new message and that we must go out and proclaim it. Lord, I pray you draw your people. I pray you'd use us to do that. I pray we would have a heart for people that much like us were enemies of God, that we would go out with this beautiful message to tell them that there is a king who has done the unthinkable. And if not for that, there would be no hope. But we no longer look at Jesus like we used to. But we now look at him as brand new. Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is the savior we needed. And I pray that that will not fall on deaf ears. But that people would hear that. Receive that. And Lord by your grace. Be reconciled back to you. Thank you for this conference. Thank you for putting this together. Thank you for these people here today. I pray that you would bless them. And use them mightily for your kingdom. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.